Hello, and welcome to another episode of Capsule Rx Podcast. Today, I'll be your host, Dr. Jovan Lazell, and I have a very special guest with me today, uh, Prachi Patel. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. How's everything going for you? Everything's going well. I um, just finished doing the whole residency match setup, everything like that. So right now I'm just trying to relax and enjoy the process thereafter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so exactly. So the purpose of today's episode is really kind of going over that that residency process. So I know last year, Sean and I kind of gave us, um, gave y'all a rundown of what we use and different tips and different things that you can do throughout the whole entire application process to be successful and go ahead and match with your top choice or to match with a residency program. And this time around, Prachi um, volunteered. Uh, at least I hope she volunteered. Maybe I forced her. <laughs> but um, Prachi was willing to come on the episode and kind of just talk about her experience going through the residency applications this past this current year and kind of be able to um, give some feedback and some advice to everybody that will be applying for next year's um, match program. So to start off, Prachi, how was your overall residency application and interview experience? So just to go a little bit into how I wanted to go and proceed with this residency match, I really wanted to overall just state that it was a little hectic at times. And I think that's something that most students really need to take into consideration, especially depending on what rotation that you're on. For me, I had my general medicine rotation, so I think really having a set schedule of when your residency applications are due, what interviews that you have, and kind of balancing all of that overall was just really over cumbersome in general. So for me, I think just knowing that your first interview in itself is always just going to be the most nervous one that you're maybe not going to be more so prepared for, but you're going to try your best overall, and I think that's something that where you really have to highlight and just make sure with yourself that you're okay with that. But overall, it was a, a great residency application for myself. I can say that as well as for my peers as well. I think having it over Zoom is a little bit different, might not be so applicable for this next season that's coming up. But for me, it was just being more so comfortable with myself, knowing when to kind of be serious and when to just have my personality shine. I think that's overall just something that's very important overall just to bring upon any sort of interview in itself. Yeah, and I think those are some great traits that you kind of mentioned or different activities that you can kind of do to help this process be a little bit easier. It can definitely be a bit hectic if you're not scheduling and planning everything out little by little. And so that's something that I would definitely recommend is to get your calendar, iPhone, um, Samsung, if that's what you use, whatever you use to go ahead and coordinate everything. Make sure you definitely have the deadlines out and ready. Know when each program deadline is, know what they want for each application and make sure you write out a list. Kind of, I personally did like a checklist. So I made sure I meet everything that they required um, by that deadline date and have that submitted because each program will have different requirements and different things that they want. So you want to make sure you have the letter of intent, the CV, um, and whatever additional documents that they need for that program by the deadline that they have. I agree to that. And just to follow up with that as well, some of these programs might ask for you to do a case presentation, a presentation about yourself as well. So kind of having that in the back of your mind, I think is very important, but looking at the fine print. So many of these interviewers or interview applications, I'm sorry, will send out a 
guideline or essentially a list of when the, the due dates are for the particular PowerPoint. So some of them might be a week before, some of them might be the day before by 8 a.m. So really just knowing where to look in that because it might not be set in the email, it might be an additional document thereafter. So putting that into your schedule as well, I think that's one goes to show you how did you look for that information? Are they on time for it? And it also just makes you look a little bit better as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I completely agree with you on that. And so for my next question, what was like your favorite part of this um, whole, this whole application process? So definitely, I think for me, my favorite part was just meeting the other candidates as well, not only as to the programs, of course, you're going to meet those programs as well as the current residents that are there, really getting to know them as well. So for me, it was kind of two parts. I'm a very social person, and I like to interact with them. So in the breaks that we would have, I would try to meet the other pharmacy students. And really, I have met a lot of them. I've added them on Instagram. We've kind of all followed our way throughout this journey of the residency process. It also just makes you feel a lot better when you are going through those same feelings and you reach out to them and they're experiencing those same feelings as well. So you're, you're not, your feelings are not invalidated at any point in time. And it's just really happy as well whenever match day comes upon and you just see what those other students have matched as well. So for me, it was that as well as just uh, meeting the residents at that time. So I like to have that open conversation. I feel like a lot of times we ask the residents the same questions and that's not to discredit those questions as well, but having those, you know, off the bat questions of yes. yeah, what if you could characterize your RPD as a movie character, what, what would your RPD be? And I think a lot of that was just like an open conversation of I think they would be like this or that's definitely a great question. You know, what are their favorite food spots? So for I know the both of us were foodies, Joe yeah, and I at least. Yeah. Are. So I think that's an open conversation to have because then they'll be like, oh, like last Friday, I went out with my residents as well as some of the preceptors to this spot. So it's like, OK, great. They have that connection overall. And I think that's just something that might not be highlighted throughout the process. Yeah, and, and that's something that also might help you see now and be a little bit more unique, you know, um, definitely asking questions about what type of movie character the RPD might be, your favorite food spots, being different than the most typical questions really helps you stand out in some of the residents' eyes. And if they're involved in the scoring process with the RPD, that could be something that kind of stands out, like this person was genuinely interested in us and wanted to know about us um, in a unique way. And that's something that I've, I think definitely can help you when it comes to that um, scoring process and the residency rubric for different programs. I agree for that as well. And I do just want to highlight again, your personality is going to be taken into account. I think a lot more than what you might think originally, definitely when I was going through the process, I was like, man, they're probably getting graded off of this scale and they might be looking at just my GPA and this, but I really think that your personality is going to shine through and they're going to think, can I work with this person? Can I be this person's either a resident or co-resident? Or do I see myself kind of being like them whenever I first entered residency and I have blossomed myself? So I think your personality is really going to be a defining factor as well. Yeah. And it makes sense, right? Because all of these individuals want to make sure um, the residency program directors and the pharmacists working there or preceptors, they want to make sure that the resident that comes in fits within the program. Okay, they want to make sure that they'll be able to get along with them, they'll be able to, they're going to be a coachable um, resident, they're going to be willing to work, they're going to have fun, they're going to enjoy their time together, because the last thing anybody would want is a miserable employee. So they definitely want to make sure that your personality fits. And I think um, a lot of us probably believed we have to be the most 
um, pristine uh, individual when it came, comes to the interviews and we have to be, you know, very proper and whatnot. But sometimes you need to let that personality shine. And I would highly recommend that in your residency interview so they can get a feel for who you truly are to see if you'll mesh well with the pharmacists that are present there. Completely agree with that. <laughs> so tell me about your least favorite part of the process. So I will say, and of course, this is kind of double-edged, but preparing for those clinical cases, I think for myself, as well as any student that might be going under the match process as well, it's how do I study for those clinical cases? I don't know what they're going to ask me. And you really are just hard on yourself. So you really have to step back. And I know that's much easier said than done. But for me, I really wanted to be able to know everything and anything about those disease states. And so that was just a really hard aspect. I think it was more of a mental game to be honest, because I was a lot harder on myself looking back upon those interviews. Why didn't I say this? Why didn't I ask that? So for me, I think really is just to kind of have a set area of these are the common disease states that I might not necessarily know of, have a list either. I had something on my phone, like I had notes where each day after I had my, essentially I had some sort of rotation, I would come home and say, I'm going to review this chapter. And I wouldn't I wouldn't go off of it where I'm like, okay, I have more time. I'm going to review another chapter. I really think that work-life balance is very important to have as well. So just having that one chapter that you're going to focus on that you might not remember, whether that be an MI, ACS, something like that. And then really just, again, going through that RX prep handbook. For me personally, I didn't wake up on the days of the interviews to go over them unless I really felt like I was very anxious about it. I would wake up those interview days kind of just taking my time throughout things. But if you feel like you might want to brush up on those RX prep notes, you're more than welcome to. But for me, I think it was really hard just coming home and balancing that I was in the ICU at that current time, having to come home and study for those cases. So my mind had to kind of shift between the two. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that can be pretty challenging. And I would always advise anyone when you're looking, when you're thinking about what clinical cases that you could get, look at the program specifically, look at the different rotations they have. Are they big in cardiology? Then it's probably going to be cardiology. If they have an infectious disease program, maybe it's going to be something like CAP or HAP. Um, So community acquired pneumonia or hospital acquired pneumonia. So those are certain things that you kind of use as a clue. If there's like an anti-coag clinic, a diabetes clinic there, you know, maybe the disease state is going to involve one of those, one of those two disease states. So that's something that I always kind of use as a hint to help me prepare for these clinical cases. And I think the RX prep does a great baseline overview as far as treatment options and different labs to look at when it comes to those cardiology disease states and anti-coag and diabetes as well. So that's something that I think would definitely help. I personally would try to do at least 15 to 30 minutes a day while on rotation, reviewing the RX prep book that pertains to the rotation that I'm currently on. And I found that that was very helpful, just kind of gaining that prior knowledge before I started preparing for um, these clinical cases in the interviews. And then when it's, when it was game time, (laughs) when it was the actual interview day, I felt prepared. So you could just take it little by little, 15 to 30 minutes a day, kind of review your cardiology section um, if you're interested in AMCARE, I'd recommend anti-coag and also to go over like diabetes as well. And also some infectious disease such as um, community acquired pneumonia or hospital acquired pneumonia. If you kind of review those sections in the RX prep book, you'll be, you'll be fine. Trust me when it comes to the clinical cases. Um, that's probably a lot of people's least favorite part because it's so unexpected and you don't know um, how that will go. And you're not sure what to say. Do I say this? Do I say, um, do I say, I don't know. Do I say, Um, I'll get back to you. Like, what's the best thing to say in those scenarios? But 
if you prepare for it over time, I'm positive you guys will do well. So just do 15 to 30 minutes a day, focus on cardiology, anti-coag, diabetes, and infectious disease, and you'll be good. Yeah, just to follow up on that too, because I know for me, and I'll talk about this a little bit later too, I was very heavy onto critical care, which is something that I wanted to pursue. So I really reached out to hospitals, again, that were very heavy crit care, and I still was able to get those clinical care cases that were diabetes, that were MIs, that had hyperlipidemia. So, you know, they're going to ask you those same, essentially clinical cases. It might be a little bit different as to how they present it. Some of the interviews that I got were essentially they would email you a case. Some of them would just say, what would you do in this situation? And they would present to you a case. And then they would say, okay, following up what you talked about, now this patient is coming into this. So what would you do? So it might not just be straightforward where it's a patient case documentation. They might do it kind of where they're just having a conversation like how Joven and I are kind of doing. Yep. So I think it's a it's just knowing to prepare for all sorts of realms within that, especially with the clinical case. They might not outrightly say that in the itinerary. Mm-hmm. Most of the times they will. I will say they will probably block off and they'll say case presentation or questions or something like that. But I did have a site that didn't necessarily have that. So it was pretty much I was having interviews after interview of people asking me questions about a case presentation that they were presenting a new case every single time. So you might just get more than one case presentation. So that's why I think that's why we harp on knowing various disease states as well, because I had, I think I want to say about five different disease states that I was asked about in one interview, but that was just for that one select site. So definitely agree. Um, How many places did you apply to? So I applied to 14 places in total. How many interviews? Uh, I got, I got 10 interviews in total. So I actually declined to, and so, and again, this was actually spoken upon in the podcast before as well, that it is okay to decline interviews if you feel like you no longer have your goals that might align with the hospital's goals as well. I think that it's perfectly fine to do that and just to let them know as soon as possible that Mm -hmm. you are declining that interview. Thank them for their time, of course, but think about it. There might be someone else that might want that position more than you. So don't necessarily, you know, want to use your time and resources on a site and the hospital doesn't want to use their time and resources on a site. Mm -hmm. If ultimately you don't necessarily want to go there. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. So I think people are kind of scared to decline interviews, but it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. You're, you're in the position of power after you get the interviews. So It's really up to you. You want to make sure you're, you're up, you're going to interview at the places you want to interview at, and you're going to rank the places you want to be at. And I know we'll get into ranking later, but I had five interviews and I didn't rank one of the places because I knew I didn't want to be there. So that's something that um, you can keep in mind um, as well, but we'll get to that a little bit later. So 14 places, you you had 10 interview offers. So you only did eight interviews. All right. So you did eight interviews and then you matched with who? So I ended up matching with Morton Plant Hospital that is located in Clearwater, Florida. Yes. Very excited. Thank you. Thank you. I am so excited. (laughs) (laughs) I I know you are. We've we've been talking a lot about this. So where did that rank on your list? If you if you want to share. Yeah, that's that's completely fine. I'm comfortable with saying that was actually my first number one choice that I decided to ring. Yes, again. Congrats, congrats. I'm super happy for you. Um, Okay, so you match with your number one place. Why, what was so special about Morton's plant that you wanted to be there? Sure. So there are various things 
that I believe would set more implant apart. So for me personally, I, again, was wanting to pursue something in critical care. So I saw it as if I wanted to pursue possibly a PGY2 in critical care, do the hospitals or programs offer that? Because it is, again, quite easy to early commit, especially within those hospitals. So looking at that long-term wise, is that had a PGY2 in critical care, what other rotations do they have to offer? So for me personally, I had a critical care rotation as well as my general medicine rotation was pretty much critical care based. But if I decided to pursue a residency and somewhere along the way, I decided that critical care might not be for me, what are my backup areas that I would like to pursue? And I think that's something very important to address. What are going to be your backup options just in case something does not work out? And does that hospital that you decide to match with, that you want to interview with, offer that rotation for you or in those areas as well? Personally, looking at Morton Plant, they had a very heavy ID rotation. So they have a longitudinal care or a long-term care ID rotation where you're following up patients that are on those antibiotics for four to six weeks thereafter. So it's a very cool rotation that most places do not offer. And that was something that I was very interested in. They also have an ID rotation as well that you can take. Following that code blue opportunity. So for me, I really wanted to be in that realm of code blues as well, experiencing that. So I had actually asked one of the residents to just kind of emphasize that, go into detail. And I think that's important for any sort of residency program that you're going to go into. If you want to do AM care and you're not about code blues, asking that is very important because they might have a checklist. They might have a certain amount of requirements that you might have to attend for code blues. And if you're not maybe comfortable with that, or if you don't want to do that, asking them, is there an other option or the, what are the checklists in general? So for me, they had a whole checklist that you had to do for code blues, a certain amount that you had to meet before you were signed off, before you felt comfortable enough to go to them on your own. Okay. So building that independence, I think for me was very important. They also had pop quizzes for code blues as well. So you would just walk in and it'd kind of be like a topic discussion, but they would ask you certain scenarios, how you would draw up those medications. So it's kind of random. So I think for me, it was kind of keeping me on my toes for that. Staffing requirements is very important as well. So especially with Morton Plant, they actually do it every third weekend. And then you have one day in the week, every third week. So for me, that was a great opportunity. I just knew personally, I couldn't do 12 days on And that's just a personal thing. So I think asking that as well. Work-life balance, I think is important to ask them, uh, you know, what is your work-life balance? Do you get along with your preceptors? What do you guys do for fun? So a lot of them were talking about how every Friday or every other Friday, they would go with their co-residents as well as their preceptors out to a new restaurant, which I thought was fun. You know, you're building those relationships, not only in the hospital, but outside as well. So that you have that strong mentorship. I also worked as with a daycare company, so I knew exactly what I was getting into with daycare wise, as well as the benefits. I think a lot of people don't necessarily look into the benefits section of it of, oh, we're residents, you know, we're going to be on the job all the time, which is great. And that's fine. But most places are, again, going to offer that mental health institute or mental health options as well. But I know for PTO wise, if I decided to stay PRN with them uh, after I completed my residency, or if I decide to stay within the daycare realm of itself, what are those PTO opportunities? What are those healthcare opportunities as well? So kind of diving into that. And did I really see myself staying there long term? Because you really go into those residencies wanting to either stay with that company, maybe progress as a clinical pharmacist. But if you were offered a job at that hospital, would you take it? 
Yeah. I think that's a question that you really need to ask yourself. Or are you kind of just like one year and done? It is what it is. So you really have to think about that. That I took all into consideration. And for me, it was more implant was it. It offered everything that I wanted with a cherry on top. And so I really decided to rank them first. And I was very lucky. I also love the area. Apparently right outside of my hospital, I see dolphins all the time. So <laughs> That's cool. Think, that's different. Yeah. So that's different. It's really nice. Yeah. One of the residents was like, I was going to a code and I just saw a dolphin outside right before I entered the room. And I was like, wow, that's a, that's a great sign, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so definitely, uh, I think location is important. You're going to live there for a year. You might be at the hospital. You might be at home. But are you going to be happy where you're living or are you going to be in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> exactly. And do you know if the patient made it? after the code she did yeah they yeah. actually so dolphin's a good sign dolphin's a good sign so dolphin's i'll take it <laughs> all right perfect okay kind of going off of that how were you able to match with your top choice what kind of resources did you use to help you so for me personally i think going to those local open houses of course going to mid-year is going to be beneficial i don't necessarily say it's going to make or break it but I think okay. those local open houses are a little bit more intimate. There are less individuals that are there that know about it. So going to their website, seeing if your school or another school's organization might be having an open house, reaching out to them just to say, hey, is there a Zoom link, anything like that? I think it really just builds that intimate type of relationship that you can have to talk to the RPD or the preceptors as well. For me also, it's, I think, having your rotation set. So if you wanting to go to a certain health entity, whether that be HCA, Advent Health, et cetera, St. Vincent's, et cetera, Ascension Health, having a rotation, I think, is really useful to have in that area because you're going to build those relationships with those preceptors. So if you're able to, of course, try to, even if you're having an off block and if you can shadow a pharmacist that's in that healthcare entity, I recommend it even if it's, even if it's for a week, you know, something like that. So you can just build that relation in itself. I think also for me, using their website, we harp on this so much, but seeing how many pharmacists are board certified, how many of them are board yeah. certified in the interest that you want, if that's oncology, if that's critical care, you know, that does make a difference and builds up onto their program themselves. I also think it's important of getting those uh, letters of recommendations from those pharmacists that you have that are clinical pharmacists as well. So for me personally, I got that from my critical care preceptor and oncology preceptor, as well as my workplace that I had worked for for over two years. So they knew me quite well. And so I think, again, and I'll talk about a little bit more of those letters of recommendation when I go into a little bit of tips on how to do the whole process, but really just mm -hmm. building upon yourself, making yourself the best that you can be. But again, going to those local open houses, I think, is just really beneficial because you might not be able to ask the questions that you want, but someone might. Or someone might ask a really good question that you didn't think of that you can use to ask other institutes as well. Definitely. I think you gave a great brief overview of all the different things that someone can kind of do to stand out. I personally did not um, do like any open houses, but I would recommend it for individuals to do that. I did do mid-year and I saw the benefit. Um, how I could see how that could be beneficial because it gets you an opportunity to get a little bit more uh, knowledge about the program and to meet with the residents and whatnot, where it might be kind of harder without that, where you have to email them or try to schedule a time into their day where they are allotted that time off to meet with you guys. So that's something that could be definitely beneficial. Definitely letter of recs. I completely agree, making sure it's from those clinical pharmacists. And if you're not able to get one from one, 
don't feel like you shouldn't apply. Don't feel like it's the end of the world. Um, but, you know, try to find maybe a teacher that has, that knows a little bit about your clinical expertise, or maybe somebody from your hippie rotation or a previous rotation before your, your fourth year rotations that can kind of attest to your clinical knowledge. If you feel uncomfortable, maybe going with one of your, um, excuse me, one of your uh, preceptors from community. That was just how the cards kind of rolled out when it came to the different rotations you had prior to applying to residency. Um, and then definitely, I think another thing that could really, really help is kind of standing out. That's something that you could add to the CV to help you get your top choice. It's not necessarily a resource, but it's something that you can do to help you stand out in every interview. Cause I always tell individuals, there's thousands of you guys, you know, there's hundreds of you applying for the same position at the same hospital. And there may be only three to what, eight, maybe 10 positions, depending how large the hospital is. So it's how can you stand out and be different? You know, maybe on rotations, you kind of help out with MUEs. Maybe you help out with individuals, research projects, maybe while you're still in pharmacy school, like not on your clinical rotations, you're doing that. Maybe you, something Sean and I did, the podcast, like that really helped. I think, I think four out of the five interviews I had asked me about the podcast. And I think every single one of Sean's interviews asked him about the podcast. So that's something where we kind of did to stand out. And that kind of shows your love for pharmacy in a different way. And uh, maybe you create pharmacy infographics on Instagram. Maybe you um, do some leisurely activities within pharmacy, whatever the case may be, but kind of do something to stand out would be beneficial and I know ASHP also creates a little manual um, that kind of highlights different resources as well that you can use to help you with the residency at, um, meetings. I think something else, I don't know if it played a part in the scoring for me, but um, I use like one of those ring lights. I made sure I had the camera angle at the right height for the interview because I wanted to be as professional as possible um, during the interview experience. So that's something that I, I kind of utilized to my advantage was going through that, making sure when I since it was all virtually making sure I look into the camera lens and not actually like at my screen. Cause when you're looking through the camera lens, you're actually looking at the individual. Whereas if you're looking at the person on the screen, it kind of looks like you're looking down or you could be looking up depending on the position of your laptop. So those were some different things that I use. Um, I have to try to find that link from ASHP that talked about the different things to do in a virtual interview. Cause I think that really helped me um, kind of prepare for the day of like the, um, the day of interview as well. I think some things to other highlight as well, just things that will set you apart as a student. I, for me personally, it's again, you had already talked about the MUEs, but you know, doing some other sort of trainings as well, I think also helps me. So when you do your BLS certification, you can also do ACLS. So I know that in some rubrics, that's just an additional point that you have just for having that ACLS because most programs Mm -hmm. don't require it. So if you're already doing your recertification, kind of just adding that on can also just add on to more, not only your clinical knowledge, but just also on a rubric as well, just a point for that. I did an online Narcan training, which was free. It was, I was just sitting at home watching this, something else that I could add to it. Yeah onto my CV. So I think that was really beneficial for me as well. Those organizations, you know, you don't have to be involved in 
five different organizations. If you just make a big impact in one, so for me, I started a new initiative when COVID started for the homeless individuals in Orlando, you know, kind of just teaming up with local programs as well as companies to donate those items to a large coalition here in Orlando. You can speak upon that because that's probably one of my biggest accomplishments. So, you know, it's something innovative, I think is very nice as well. And I will say something I think that also stood out to me, and I don't necessarily know exactly what my letters of recommendation said, but something that I did for my letters of recommendation, which I think is going to help you stand out when you are applying and when people are looking at your letters of recommendation is I had asked my preceptors, one, if they were comfortable enough, of course, but I also sent out a small document about my long-term and my short-term goals as well as what I did on that rotation. Because again, they're going to have multiple students coming in at a time. They might not necessarily remember everything that you did. Yeah. So that could just be, you know, topic discussions. Did you lead them? Did you do, what type of journal club did you do? What type of key recommendations did you do on that rotation that you had? And what I personally thought my strengths and weaknesses were. So I really sent out that document to my preceptors. And a lot of them were thankful for that because they could really be specific in my letters of recommendation. And they weren't necessarily generic as well. Because again, most places are going to see just letters of recommendation that might be overall like this student is great. But if they can speak upon it saying, you know, if your letter of recommendation or in your letter of intent both say heavy critical care, then they're going to say, hey, this person knows what their goals are. They know what they want to do. Or if you don't necessarily know, but you have an area of interest and that's highlighted still, well, that was communicated between your letter of rec and your letter of intent. And that's really going to highlight as well. Yeah. And I always tell individuals, you're CV should be a reflection of what you're applying for. So if you're going to apply for a crit care position, you should be having a CV that screams crit care. The different um, case presentations you did, the different journal clubs, the different uh, extracurricular activities that you're doing, it needs to state that. You know, maybe you go to the um, uh, was it Society of Critical Care Conference, SCCM. Mm-hmm. Um, you attend maybe those conferences. Like you have to do these certain things that really make you seem like you're, you're really into this career path. That's what you're going to be saying during your interview. Like, I want to be here because of crit care. I want to do these things. So that's something that I always advise other people that your CV is basically, it's your logbook, it's your journal. It's, it's the only evidence that these individuals have that you truly want this until they meet with you, until they meet with you and interview you, then you can tell, you know, maybe some power stories or whatnot. And you also have the letter of intent where you can tell some stories within that. But your CV is really like a receipt or a journal that's kind of showing who you've been the past four years and why you want this position and, and why you're interested in this program. It should match. Your CV should match the type of residency program that you're applying for. Man, one incredible gem from Prachi right there. So we're actually going to stop right here, guys, and um, end with part one of this two-part episode series. Um, we appreciate you all for listening. And definitely stay tuned for part two where Prachi will give some more tips and advice on how to match with your top program.